Hey, Dad, welcome to the podcast. We're, we're back. Hey. GPT-4, I was talking uh, with this the AI, and it knows who you are. And it actually, it has oh. some questions. This is kind um, of scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. it has some good interview questions. Okay. Some questions about how AI has played a role in your films. Ah, great. I'd love to talk about that. The first question is, in Lawnmower Man, mm. Job's transformation is marked by the line, I am God here, a chilling, proclam- <laughs> a chilling proclamation of his newfound power. How do you think the advancements in AI since the film's release has affected people's perception of technology's potential, both positive and negative? And how does this iconic line resonate with today's AI developments? So AI formed that question. Chat GPT formed that question for me. Yeah, GPT-4. Yeah, wow. after about, well, I did do some extensive prompting with it, but yeah, I eventually yeah. found okay. it could do something that detailed. Well, that's that's very prescient because that part of the film is actually, it's interesting. When we, when we test marketed the film, the one line that they all the test marketers pointed to as the most impactful moment in the movie was that line. And I felt very good about that because really the whole film is about that theme about what happens when man merges with machine man merges with digital virtual reality and does that create a new kind of deity a new kind of godhead so to speak in the context of human human history and and human conscious perception and uh that line resonated very strongly and i think it's also become one of the more prescient lines from the film now there's a lot of antecedents to that line uh, in my own you know, film watching over the years, uh, because of course I was very formed by seeing 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was about seven years old. And really that, that film made me want to make films. Um, and also Hal was the most interesting character in that movie, which is kind of interesting. The, the humans are somewhat blank and uh, somewhat boring in that film. But Hal is the one that actually has the more interesting neuroses and eventually psychoses. Right. <laughs> so, and he, you know, he kind of takes a godlike control of the ship and kills all of the uh, the astronauts except for one who uh, ends up being very clever and, you know, clever enough to actually survive. And then goes on the you know the beyond infinite journey uh, that happens yeah. at the end of the film. But uh, so for me, yeah. all these things were were for me a very Kubrickian kind of idea of can you know when humans are fully extended and augmented by technology in the context of the metaverse, in the context of virtual reality, in the context of of this, you know, digitization of everything, as we talked about in our last podcast, does yeah. that create us into a into the God that we've been, you know, creating for our own meaning for for many many you know centuries? Are we literally creating ourselves into the God of of all the religions? And does this become the new cyber religion, so to speak? Now, this was in 1990 you know, to when the film was released. And so that was a somewhat, you know, still fresh idea. Now it's an idea that's talked about literally almost every day in publications because of chat GPT-4 and and uh, all the things that are happening with AI. So uh, for me, that is really the moment that the film revolves around. And I, th- I actually think all good films actually build to one or two great moments and and more than that usually becomes a problem because film is its own and it is in a, many ways a shorthand medium and so you have to build to something that really establishes your theme establishes what the character is feeling and combines those things in as emotional and cinematic a way as possible and so that was my attempt to do that in the lawnmower man wow yeah it's amazing because that that i didn't even give it that specific line i i just Asked in, in you know the thirty minutes of prompting wasn't with giving it anything specific about your the, your oh, really? work. It just knew it had just it knew about your work because you you've been out there <laughs> making yeah. so many movies. You know more than long. I mean you've made yeah, so many course. movies over yeah. the years, and um you know it also referenced virtuosity and hideaway uh, yeah. in, in other films as well. But I um I eventually said you know add specific facts and lines from the film in the question. So hmm. that's why and it be and that's specific. the and that's the line. It picked 
Yeah, that's the line it picked on its That, that the yeah. AI would pick that line. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of leans into this this idea is, is AI self-aware of its own, you know, its own state as a kind of godlike intelligence, you know, which is somewhat seems to be what we're creating with it. And that that both is thrilling for people and also terrifying for people for good reason, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's <laughs> there's a lot of discourse right now about the ethical implications of it. And there's different uh, factions forming like the AI safety, you know, t- and, and then the AI accelerationists. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And these are and these are different, you know, and, and yeah, there's, so there's a lot to unpack there and some will we'll definitely jump in. But we have we have and, and maybe we'll maybe we'll touch on some of those themes um, at the end of our podcast. But we do have uh, three more Three more questions from the from the AI. Okay, great. Yes, because I, I I think your answer. I think a lot of people would yeah be interested. These are these these questions are interesting and in that you know also related. Of course, with the theme, it was I was I told it to give you know build build these questions around the theme of AI in relation to your film. So yes, uh, in virtuosity, Sid six point seven taunts Denzel Washington's character with the line, "I'm a fifty terabyte self evolving neural network." Double backflip off the high platform. Yes. <laughs> Given the rapid progress in AI and the increasing capacity for machine learning, do you think society is prepared for self-evolving AI entities? And what measures should we take to avoid the dystopian outcomes presented in your film? Well, that's a pretty, uh, again, very pointed question. I, I, it, you know, for me, that that whole aspect of the film, of course, is a cautionary tale. Because in Virtuosity, Sid 6.7, and by the way, my father and your grandfather's name is Sid. So when uh, Sid, which means sadistic, intelligent, and dangerous in the film came out, my dad was very uh, <laughs> somewhat upset that, <laughs> that, that the psychotic oh, wow. villain was called Sid. But anyway, uh, Sid 6.7 uh, is an example of all of these aspects of serial killers and psych, you know, psychotic sociopaths being combined into one avatar into one character and then through the uh, the magic of nanotechnology which was uh, the virtuosity was one of the first films to ever show nanotechnology specifically uh he comes out of the computer and becomes uh this this character that's able to wreak havoc in the real world uh this again becomes kind of prescient to what's going on right now as we're all kind of looking at will this ai reach out from the digital realm and affect the real world in such a you know hugely tremendous way and in a way that is cautionary because do you think we're prepared i you know i don't think we are actually i i I think we're rushing headlong into this and it's unfortunately still still time for cautionary tales uh, around these themes because there's there's a lot of frameworks I don't think that are in place yet and and the right questions aren't even being answered uh, or asked yet let alone answered so uh, you know so what me, measures should we take to avoid the dystopian outcomes yeah, man this is such a hard thing because of course in the capitalistic imperative of technology marching forward there's never been a time when that's been stopped for any good humanistic reason. Um, you know, we didn't stop it when we, you know, created the internal combustion engine or all the aspects of the industrial revolution, which changed our planet so radically, changed human interaction so radically, uh, in many in many ways for the positive, by the way. I mean, many, you know, there's there's less violence, there's, there's less death by disease, there's many, many boons to the technological advancement of man. I think that's often missed in the in the conversation. Uh, people think, oh, we're in a worse time than ever. Actually, we're in a better time than ever by any actual analysis or metric. Um, but that yeah. said, yeah. we also are in a time when there's more alienation between humans. There's more polarization. There's this idea that, you know, with hyperconnectivity, we've gotten more lonely. Um, we've gotten more isolated uh, from each other. And so there is this aspect where does AI lean into that and create a greater isolation uh, or does it free humankind to be more imaginative, more uh, focused on pursuits that are not the pursuits of the industrial revolution, uh, but are pursuits of this new digital metaverse revolution. And uh, you know, that's, that's a question that I, it's very difficult to answer because there, there's a horizon factor here. 
it's very difficult for us to see over that horizon of where this how this technology will affect us and i think the questions to ask are what is it what does it do in the context of human intimacy how does it change the nature of human interaction in general i think there's many things about it that are very empowering for humans and there's you know there's a lot of evidence of that happening over just the past number of months as you know ai has kind of taken off in this new inflection point but there's also a lot of concern about, you know, where does this, how does this disrupt the nature of human interaction in a way that isn't necessarily positive? And I don't think there's ways to really fully understand that without doing a greater deep dive into that analysis and actually making some kind of protocol, some kind of, of, of you know, sort of analysis body that is looking at what is really happening between humanness and AI and how does that affect? Now, there are many that would, you know, that aren't humanists would say, well, this is just about the marching forward of progress, the evolution of humankind into a transhuman era. Uh, and there are people that are very for that. There are people that are very uh, excited by that. They think it leads to things like immortality which I'm not necessarily sure is a great thing. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to live forever, I mean, every every sort of, you know, mythology of living forever, well, you know, most pointedly like vampire mythology, usually means they're miserable, you know, living forever. So uh, do we want to live forever? Is that something that really is uh, a, a sane goal of humankind? I'm not sure. And does AI leaning in that direction, is, will we develop it in that direction? Because that's such a, a desire, a desire to conquer death. Now, I think conquering disease, conquering suffering, these are very, very you know altruistic uh, goals and, and gives a, a great purpose to the use of AI. But there's just so much there that we don't understand. And it's moving so rapidly. I have never seen in my lifetime, and many have talked about this, this is not an original thought by any stretch of the imagination, that something hap happened and developed this quickly. Something that's becoming more powerful, it literally feels with each passing week, not each passing year. And so when that power becomes greater and greater and greater, moving towards, as we've talked about, superintelligent, you know, general, general artificial intelligence, that that is just something that I think we have to, as storytellers and as as muser, musers of the human condition, really completely continue to have that discussion and really make that discussion be at the center of the development of AI, not as a peripheral thing that just sort of, oh, yeah, we'll have a kind of ethics committee that'll look at the ethics of this. Uh, it's kind of what happened around the idea of uh, nanotechnology. A man named Eric Drexler, who wrote the the book uh, "The Engines of Creation," which is about nanotechnology, uh, they he has a foundation, or he was part of creating a foundation around the uh, you know the ethical considerations with nanotechnology, which in many ways have even greater import because it's about a technology that can, can change the nature of molecular reality, uh, you know, in an instant. And that could uh, have very, very drastic, uh, you know, effects on the physical world. So, but when you combine those things with AI, with what's happening with AI, now we have this confluence of multiple sort of crashing wave fronts of, of, of evolution, of technological evolution. And it's very difficult to see what the fluid dynamics of those crashing wave fronts will create. Uh, in the context of sociology and and the you know the overall anthropology of the human experience, I mean this is this is a moment where we need to really consider to an even greater degree than ever before what we're doing with this technology, and that did not happen in the context of the industrial revolution, and we are paying the price for that right now. Though there are people that that uh, you know would say that that's not true. Um, but I think the science is pretty strong, showing that what we have done during the Re Industrial Revolution has changed the nature of climate on the planet, has changed the nature of certain things that are affecting millions, if not billions of people over the next uh, several decades. So this, I think, has an even greater level of import. So in a sense, uh, as much as I've said before, kind of I'm done telling cautionary tales, 
I'm kind of inspired to continue to tell cautionary tales, <laughs> to tell you the truth, because of what's been happening over the last several months. Well, you mentioned uh, life after death, and that mm. leads us to our next question. Uh, in Hideaway, mm. your film, the character Hatch yes. Harrison, played by Jeff Goldblum, has a near-death experience that gives him a psychic link to a serial killer, thanks to a groundbreaking yes. medical procedure. As AI continues to revolutionize medicine and human augmentation, do you believe that we may one day face similar ethical dilemmas involving the unintended consequences of merging technology with our minds and bodies? Absolutely. I mean, these are greatly formed questions, by the way. I mean, the, the AI is doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and to combine, it's interesting because when GPT-4. I did, when I did Hideaway, of course, it came out of me having done, it was my second film after doing uh, Lawnmower Man. And uh, it was actually my third feature film, but the film I did right after Lawnmower Man. And it was, you know, the, the death journeys in the film were done in a kind of virtual reality aesthetic. Um, because that's what was, you know, the, the technology was capable of. And yet we embedded within that, that aesthetic these uh, these different cultural references. We tried to stay away from Judeo-Christian references because so many sort of horror films and films that dealt with this kind of supernatural subject matter were so based in, in Judeo-Christian um, sort of symbolism and, and themes. So uh, I tried to use other kinds of symbolism from other cultures that would feel even more sort of intimidating uh and and yet the the journeys in the film were called virtual death journeys <laughs> when when uh, the the critics talked about it because it was um you know it was utilizing computer graphics to express this idea of a journey beyond death um and we did a lot of research with people that had near-death experiences. There's a lot of books on that subject. And we did a, lo- a lot of things that informed those sequences in the film, which is one of the main reasons I wanted to do the film. Um, and so for me, you know, the kind of aesthetic blending of using that technology to express after death. And in a way, you know, if you look at Longman, it's about Job, you know, bec- bec- from, come, goes from being a human to becoming data. Um, in a way, that's what was happening in Hideaway as well, because in a way we become, you know, the data of our souls is then brought back into a physical form. And there's a lot of, you know, musings around how technology can do that. There's, you know, some really great uh, episodes of Black Mirror that go into those uh, those themes. Um, so, you know, for me, it it's all you know, it's so funny. They, they talk, you know, many people talk about as a filmmaker, you end up making different chapters of the same film. Uh, Robert Altman, one of the great American filmmakers of all time, said that he had made about 44 films. And he said there was he made a, the same film that just had 44 chapters. <laughs> and he was exploring a lot of the same themes in all those films. I, I seem to see in my own work that same idea of, you know, exploring these similar themes, but with, within the context of g- different genre tropes, different aesthetic, uh, you know, uh, subject matter um, and, and influences. And so for me, there's, even though Hideaway was a very different film than Lawnmower Man, it was in a way a kind of sequel because it was dealing with this idea of like, well, what happens to the human soul when we go into this sort of use of technology to take us beyond mortality? The same thing happened in both films in a, in a, in a different context, a different form. Wow, right. I mean, that, and that's awesome. And so, and I guess their question leads to, do you believe that we may one day face similar ethical dilemmas involving I think unintended consequences? Yeah. I, think, I think we're facing it now. I think we're, yeah. we're, we're literally facing those, those consequences now. I think, you know, there's tremendous medical advancement going on. Uh, unfortunately, the, the highest end advancement is it's, it's affected by economic determinism. Uh, you know, it's for very, 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 very wealthy people kind of keep extending their life much to a much greater degree than people that don't have those economic, uh, that economic power. I think we are right now facing those ethical dilemmas and it's only going to become greater and greater with the use of AI in the context of medical technology. I mean, think about it, an AI that's doing heart surgery on you or brain surgery, 
on you. Uh, I think that, you know, in looking at um, using a lot of virtual uh, technologies in the healthcare area, which I'm involved with now through my, my company, Ubiquity VX, um, that is a very big consideration of what is the ethical framework, again, around the use of these things. And when we're talking about things that can literally change your mind, change the nature of human interaction, we need to really consider these things. And of course, the idea of changing the nature of mortality is probably the biggest question humankind may ever face. The final question from GPT-4 for you is, your work often explores the consequences of merging human consciousness with AI, such as the transformation of Job in The Lawnmower Man and the creation of Sid 6.7, played Mm. by Russell Crowe, in Virtuosity. And as AI continues to advance and becomes more integrated into our lives, what do you think the future holds for the intersection of AI and human consciousness? And how do you envision exploring this theme in your future projects? Well, it is a very, very, it's, it's what I think about every day almost. Um, because as I, I mentioned, I'm involved in the sort of virtual medicine healthcare field and the consideration of how we use virtual aspects of ourselves and this virtual technology, which allows us to analyze aspects of our own behavior in real time uh, in a kind of metaverse environment, um, that, that the consideration of how we do that in an ethical way and how we do that to best empower humans in their own healing and how we literally lean into the healing nature of these technologies as opposed to the uh, the other aspects. I think, you know, that to me is literally part of the dialogue I'm in every single day now. Uh, and it also is informing the way I think of all the stories that I'm I'm developing to still tell because I still plan on making future films and uh, telling these stories around this, you know, these very ethical concerns and in some ways spiritual concerns. Because I believe that this technology in many ways is designed to expand the spirit of humankind. It's designed in a way that can have the effect of creating a greater imagination of what spiritual reality is and connecting us to it in in a similar way that for many people, psychedelic therapy has connected them to a spiritual uh, context. Uh, There's a a great uh, couple, uh, Stanislav and Christina Groff, who did, uh, wrote some books called In the Realms of the Human Unconscious, and it was about LSD therapy uh, for many different types of people. But one of the main uh, parts of their research was for people that were terminally ill. And they utilized this, you know, this, this, this plant technology, which was psychedelics, in order to activate aspects of the mind, aspects of the organic brain that put people in touch with a greater spiritual awareness and spiritual perception. And in many ways, I think that the virtual technology we're using is going to have a similar uh, ability, a similar uh, potential of connecting us to greater spiritual reality of ourselves. Now, many people will call that naive and Pollyannish, and I understand all that, uh, but I do believe that that, that that potential is there if we make the intention of what we're doing lean into that direction. And that that's where telling the right stories, that's where inspiring people through storytelling and through the, the nature of our intention set and and the, the the moral or an ethical framework that we that we discuss around this is going to create uh, those answers for ourselves. Now, it doesn't mean that you know the other more nefarious uses of this technology won't happen. I'm sure they will. That's the nature of uh, human existence on this planet. But doesn't mean that we can't, in an overall sense, evolve ourselves in the in a, a more positive direction. And I really believe that, you know, this technology can really e- expand and, and augment and amplify the nature of human imagination, both in the realm of creativity, but also in the realm of spirituality. When you were making The Lawnmower Man, like, were you thinking about AI? Uh, and, you know, in addition to the other buzzwords, we know you were thinking about the metaverse, but were you thinking about AI? Oh yeah. When, when you, when <laughs> yeah. You made it. Again, I mean, yeah. Uh, again, because that was one of the 
primary themes of 2001 Space Odyssey uh, that just imprinted my young brain uh, very early on. And I just found that whole concept fascinating from every sort of consideration of what it means to be human. I don't think AI is going to go uh, the the way that this, the terms like the metaverse or even virtual reality has gone, which they, they go through moments of uh, hype and then they become, there's a backlash against these terms and the nomenclature changes. AI or augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence, I don't like artificial because I don't think there's anything artificial about it. It's coming from us. So it's coming from the natural world. Um, it's coming from our own evolution of our own technology. So it's augmented intelligence as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't think that's going away because the the facility of of AI, the way in which it's going to integrate into every aspect of human activity and is already doing so is going to be so overwhelming that it's going to be a main focus of uh, of this new era that we're in. It, similarly to how the internal combustion engine uh, was such a main focus of the industrial era. Uh, you know, because it created such a change in the nature of human interaction. Uh, you know, the ability to travel the globe I mean, through aviation and through all of these, you know, things that came out of these, this idea of the quote-unquote transportation engine, whatever version of that there was, as, was such a huge pivot point. And it happened actually very quickly in the context of historical time. Uh, you know, now, right, right. now, now we're in, it's happening literally in weeks as opposed to years or decades. And well, but this time, yeah, this time though, some people are be are, are there's a lot. There's, the range of alarm is is pretty wild. I mean, I know people yeah, are yes. like critical of <laughs> critical of new technologies for sure. There's a there's a there's a great like uh, <laughs> I think it's a great Twitter account called Pessimist Archive, and it, you know about the, the, <laughs> the history of people who were like afraid of bikes and bikes were oh, of course you yeah. know this kind of new technology but more also just that there's valid concerns you know the, the, it's interesting that what i've gone on a roller coaster of emotions with ai because i've been using uh, large language models since like 2021 uh, and you know back then yeah. it was it was it was still an amazing tool but the level of of hype or just attention that it's yeah. been getting in the past few months a lot of the rhetoric around it and a lot of the different opinions around it. I mean, on a lot of them are from both sides. There's valid opinions. Yeah. If, well, first of all, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're from different generations. Um, that yeah. That my perception of this is from a generation that, you know, read science fiction about this in our youth, and then saw very slow uh, progress over many decades. And suddenly it's real. Suddenly it's, the, and so there's a, almost a shock value to it. Whereas your generation. Well, I know I feel the same way though. Yeah. I do, honestly, like I, I feel shocked as well. Right. And I, I feel like it's this tremendously, it's a breakthrough. It's this, it's this huge potential that's happening. And it's, and it's, you know, it's been such a positive thing for me and my work, but at the same time, it's interesting to see how the impacts are rippling throughout society. I, well, I, th I think the difference is that my, you know, I didn't need to integrate the use of AI into my process to build my career, to do what I, and, you, and you're going to right. have to, you need to, I mean, it, it's almost yeah, an I already, imperative. I already do. Yeah. It's an imperative. I know. And you're, you're an early adopter of that even. So, um, you yeah. know, th th there is a generational difference here in the perception of how it affects your life, how it affects your career, how it affects your work. Uh, yeah. that's pretty now for me at this phase, uh, I'm super excited about kind of experimenting, doing process experimentation with this nature of curating AI collaboration, human-machine AI collaboration, and how do we push it? I mean, almost every you know creative project I have uh, is going to be affected by this AI collaboration because I want to do it that way. I want I, to me, it's discovery. It's a new form of discovering other yeah, aspects same. of yeah. creative thought. Now, you know, it's funny. In many ways, AI is almost like a drug. Uh, as an example, you know, uh, as, as a filmmaker coming out of the 80s into the 90s, you know, as many of us did, uh, even Francis Coppola, we used marijuana. We used weed 
as an accelerant, uh, a creative accelerant. Um, you know, the lawnmower man <laughs> definitely was accelerated by <laughs> smoking pot at that time. Uh, and a lot of those ideas became, you know, we're, we were in a kind of collaboration with the plant medicine of marijuana. Uh, the AI feels like you're doing, for me, kind of feels like doing something like that. It feels like doing a drug almost that's accelerating your imagination, ex- accelerating your, your, you know, your human ability to expand outside the box, expand your thinking outside the, the usual boundaries, which is why we would smoke weed to give us another perception of the creative process we were in to try to think outside the box. And I think that's or a people positive drink thing. coffee. I think, yeah, people drink coffee. Yeah, people people drink coffee is, uh, to do that as well. Yeah. But you know, in but the it, film that's business, an interesting way of, was, of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of the weed people, was at the center of a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of films. I mean, I, I just have a feeling <laughs> market. Uh, yeah, I think marketing it though in that way, I feel would almost give a lot of uh, fuel to some of the skepticism around it. Because, of course. Yeah, you but, know, they, but, they see it as something that might even be an addictive substance. That and, could, and I think you they're know. right. I think they're right. I think that the, right. that's why it's an apropos metaphor. I think it, it or analogy, it's, it is, it, it is like doing something that you're trying to get a greater perspective from. Just like we would, you know, again, you could use coffee as the example as well. I mean, pot's pretty accepted at this point. I mean, it's, it's but, legal. Yeah, most places. I, I but, would but, say but, though. The, I don't think that AI is quite there yet. Like, I think it's still, you no. still need to work with it a lot. And I know there's a lot of hype out there. And there's especially people on YouTube who would hype it up and they'll say, oh, this is the, you know, if you just do this one thing with AI, you can get all this money. Um, yeah, and, well, that's, you know, that's, and, and, that's the bullshit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Things, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, right. well, and, you know, but talk at the same about time, the- there are powerful things you can do with it. But but talk about how that, because you you have a really interesting viewpoint on that because you've been utilizing it for a while now in your own creative process and creating the content you're creating how what is yeah. that balance point for you explain that to us a bit what what's the nature well, of how yeah. that works for yourself honestly i try to use it as much as i can in every way that i can and it's the hardest part is connecting all the different ai inputs so you right. know there is no one ai it's often talked about in headlines or in, in, in general discussions about, oh, the AI, but really there's there's so many different services, whether it's for just image generation services, which are technically AI, but then there's also text-based services, there's music-based services, there's uh, video now, there's even full-blown video um, where you can, this, this one I, I've been testing called Kyber, you can generate videos pretty long ones too, uh, you know, like full, like four minute videos that are fully AI generated. And this is, you know, some of the competition were like runway, runway, they're exactly, gen yeah. two. Yeah, they're the most popular one, but you can only do four seconds at a time right now with, with their, uh, with right. their solution. But obviously they're going to increase that soon. But anyways, it's just, it's wild that you can do video at all. To be honest, all these services are, have benefits. That, blo- and- that blows me away. I mean, I, the, the, the creation yeah. video and also, there are now front end AI front ends for Blender, uh, for yeah. creating animation. You know, um, yeah, uh, you know that that just and literally you just speak it, and yeah, yeah, you type in animation. The scene. Yeah, I saw yeah, also I, the, a startup called Spline, which does basically it's like Blender in the browser. They yes. do. I'm on the wait list. I haven't tried it yet, but you basically type in a prompt, and then it'll generate the the scene and the objects and even the textures of a scene, a 3D scene. That that's can be really powerful for people who don't. They aren't necessarily, you know, want to go through the training process along with uh, that that is involved with learning how a 3D program works. But they do have ideas about 3D scenes that they could create and use and augmented reality or use as videos you can just now type that in as a natural language prompt and yeah that can be huge and it can unlock new types of jobs um you know and that's why i am i am hopeful obviously i'm i'm hopeful with obviously a lot of caution and and because i see in other industries how there are a lot of valid reasons but you know like i think one great great example of a positive use is is adobe's Firefly platform that yeah. uses a you know completely verified that the the source training data 
is was, not co- copyrightable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, is is yeah. is actually is is, a, is procured in a way that was legal and well. We should know, talk they, they about that. The, right, we should talk yeah. about, because there are big legal cases coming up very soon around this exact thing. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I yeah, mean, the use several. of yeah, the idea that you know, and I'm I'm actually looking at this because I'm I'm looking at using AI for the creation of certain visual effects in a, a number of different projects that I'm involved with. And the question is, can you copyright that work? Can you, and, or can you integrate that work, whether it be a shot or a moment uh, or even a frame into a overall copyrightable work, like a feature film? Um, the courts are still figuring big, it out. Big legal yeah. Question. Which, yeah, I know. It's a big yet. legal question. Which is going to be affecting the nature of how we play with these technologies, of how we utilize them in our creative process. Again, for me, it's, you know, I'll go back to the Lawman. So I was thinking, you know, what can Job do to these two guys with guns um, with his telekinetic powers that's really mind bending and still has a cyber aesthetic and is different than anything I've ever seen before? And, you know, I came up with this idea of them turning into these kind of clacking billiard balls and then spinning off, you know, sort of like being atomized and spinning off. And that was a very unique effect for that moment in time and was talked about as a unique effect. Uh, You know, to get to that, I smoked some weed to get to that idea. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, that was part of, again, wanting to think outside the box, wanting to think. So now, because I'm not really that much of a weed smoker anymore at this point in my life, I'm looking at the AI as a way of getting me outside the box, helping me visualize things in a new way that is still utilizing my own human imagination, but showing me things that are taking that to the next level or bringing in this idea of sideways thinking to it so that's something unique can be created uh, in the context of a cinematic moment. And that's really the way I'm looking at utilizing it. Again, it's all for me process experimentation. I mean, uh, yes, we have to actually end up creating something that yeah. that finally has, you know, you deliver and it actually can become part of a, a film or creative project. But right now, there's only process experimentation around this because no, there's nothing pro forma about it. This is like people are really experimenting with how to do this. The fact that creating full video uh, in the nature of what we're doing or the idea of what's happening with Blender and, and these kinds of tech, you know, technologies is moving so quickly really makes that experimentation really important right now to really decide and to define how this can be used in a positive way that also doesn't co-opt the work of other artists um, because that's, I think, a very important legal consideration. And, you know, artists already are ripped off in so many different ways to, to have another to, to tech, another technology that is able to rip them off even to a greater, more integral degree uh, is not a positive thing. So we really do have to have this new era be defined by these new frameworks that are being considered right now. Yeah, and I think we're, they're having to look at how the technology actually works, and that you know, it's it's this debate around. Well, really, the, this it's not actually necessarily copying anything specifically. Uh, rather, it's using the training data to then find patterns, and then essentially use that as inspiration exactly. to create new types of artwork. However, yeah. there's going to be legal debate around whether that initial copying. Of it's like at the source of copyright laws, like that initial yeah. copy, even to their servers before the training data even happened. Exactly. The, cop- the copy of the data to their servers to get the training data going was that legal in the first place? Yeah, but, but That's going to be one of the questions. But think about it. And yeah. for me, when okay, I would get ready to make a film, one is the what is one of the first things I would do? I would watch a bunch of films. I would right, watch yeah, a bunch of films right, with exactly. with some of my collaborators. We we'd use and sometimes it was you know wildly tangential films to what we were creating to give again inspiration and uh uh you know that we were essentially loading that large language model into our into our minds cinematically by watching that then would combine in our human imagination in a way that would then be spat spit out as a new form of storytelling and and the more uniquely you were able to do that the more successful the film would be and it's and its uniqueness and it's in its originality. Um, 
And yeah. sometimes you see yeah. films that are not that original, that are direct lifts from uh, many things. And that's, you know, that's, that's in a way a, a lesser form of the art. So the same thing applies in this context, except it's being accelerated so rapidly by the technology that these questions are, you know, kind of coming around in a way that they've never come around before. All of us stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, you know, in, in any creative field. We all, uh, there's so many, you know, aspects of human thought. There's, you know, the, the saying, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, is there even the potential for true originality anyway? Um, you know, everything is a kind of synthesis at this point in human history and uh, a recombinant synthesis of all kinds of different ideas and inspirations and, and influences. And so we're just accelerating that process with the use of the AI. Is that is that valid? I think it is. Um, I, it's all about I, how you use it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and for example, the Adobe Firefly, which uses licensed images, you know, that is a solution, but it's not just for image generation. You know, the, again, there's so many different types of AI. So an AI might not even necessarily generate something. Rather, it would edit something together, making edits and patterns of edits. Like, does anyone own a, a pattern of an edit? If, and especially if it's randomized and done in this way that's, you know, actually creating a new type of uh, type of work, either art or uh, yes. edit pattern. Um, these are interesting questions to dive into, but you know, I yeah. I think with the future is here and it's already been happening now. I've seen every day, you know, I'm, uh, things that how it's impacting my workflows as a as a video producer, and, and the tools just change, like you said earlier. It's moving so fast right now. Yeah. And what do you think? I, I got to get your take on Disney shutting down its metaverse uh, division. Oh, I mean, look, of course Disney is going to do things in digital worlds. The digital yeah. digital worlds are another product form for creative endeavors that a company like Disney does. There's no way just, it's just calling it the metaverse and contextualizing it as the metaverse in the context of web three and all these things that were such hyped buzzwords for a while um, has become, has fallen out of favor. And so when things fall out of favor, yeah. movie studios tend to run the other way. They don't have, they never have had the courage of their convictions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's not. That's not. That's not what they do. They respond to the moment. Um, you know. I, I mean. I. Uh, you know. I was. I was. I remember. Uh, right after Lawnmower Man, I was uh, developing a uh, a TV project uh, for NBC called Reality Man, uh, which is literally kind of the Lawnmower Man made into a kind of you know, semi-jokey drama version of itself. Oh, wow. For, uh, and we, you know, went through all kinds of concept art. We went through multiple drafts of a pilot script. And we went through a budgeting process. It was going to be one of the, the biggest, the highest budgeted series they had ever done because, it, you know, we had to create all of these virtual effects at that time. And it came off the fact that I had, you know, created this very successful independent film called The Longer Man. Well, that suddenly, right as that was happening, um, and I was dealing with Warren Littlefield and uh, uh, the head of NBC at that time, and the, this film, this this series called Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman, was just doing you know like crazy amounts of uh, viewership, uh, 25, 30 shares, something like that, and became the hit. And they literally came to me and said, is there any way we can integrate more of what Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman is into this idea? <laughs> Which is literally like trying to create, you know, I mean, Dr. Quinn wow. was a period piece Western. I mean, it was the most insane. I, I literally just burst out laughing and it put me off wow. developing television <laughs> basically at that point because it was like uh, the answer is no. Um, and so they just went in that direction and kind of dumped any of the cyber ideas, which had now played out their, their hype cycle a little bit. So these cycles come and go and the way in which we talk, talk about them come and go, the nomenclature that we use, but the digitization of human experience, of human interaction, of human entertainment, of human healthcare is happening. So. It goes back to the, you know, the 
the title of our, our podcast, which is What the F is the Metaverse? Because it isn't one thing. It is not going to be a static term. And now it's a term that's fallen out of favor because the investors run away from it because, oh, there's a lot of people that lost money on that term. So we want to go the other way and look at what, you know, Mark Zuckerberg just stubbed his toes on it. And I, I think one of the reasons for that has been that groups like Meta and uh, Zuckerberg have tried to, you know, what's called boil the ocean with it, meaning they tried to do everything with it. They wanted to make it like this is a place where everything can happen. I think what's going to happen is a very specific use of these technologies for very specific human reasons and purposes that make sense. Like the thing we're doing with my company, Ubiquity VX, which is healthcare, certain forms of physical therapy, occupational therapy, behavioral therapy that utilize known science with virtual medicine in a way that is in a, you could call it a metaverse environment or a virtual environment or a digital environment. There's, you know, all these terms are somewhat interchangeable and they fulfill a purpose, a very specific purpose, not just, and this is a place to go where we do everything. Because when you, you try to boil the ocean with that kind of level of idea, it creates hype, but it also creates uh, expectations that cannot be met. And I think that that's, what's happened, that's what happened with Meta. And so now I think they're going to have to really focus down uh, on very specific use cases. And I think that's what's going to happen across the board. So you're going to see very, you know, with Disney, you're going to see very specific things they're going to be doing with their Star Wars IP, with their Marvel IP, uh, in the context of new digital forms of entertainment. Uh, They won't call it the metaverse, but they will be there. Well, just like Apple's not going to call it the metaverse. No way. No way. No, no way. But, you know, they're they're competitive with Facebook. So they're not going to, you know, they're going to, you know, I think they're calling their things the uh, reality something is the thing I've heard, uh, you know, uh, the the, reality platform um, using the term reality almost in and of itself. Um, And, uh, you know, there's also a lot of controversy around what Apple's doing because there are people at Apple, I've heard through my sources, that are skeptical about what Apple's doing in this. And yet I've also heard that Tim Cook, who's getting ready to retire, wants to make this his kind of swan song, make make this his legacy, uh, is to create this new form of augmented or virtual, you know, uh, platform that allows this new era to come in in a way that the same way that Apple brought in the era of the smartphone. Um, so, you know, the, there's there's countervailing forces happening, which is one of the reasons why it is going to be released this summer because Tim Cook wants it to be, because he wants it to be part of his legacy. That's what I've heard. This is These are rumors, people. I'm not saying they're totally verifiable, but they're rumors from good sources. Well, yeah, we're going to have to see. We'll have to do our reactions to after the WWDC event. <laughs> so be sure to subscribe to our feed for that. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. And I, I do have one more question about Lawnmower Man. When you were sure. So at the end of at, again, spoilers, and we talked about this on a, yeah. a recent podcast, which is why I want to mention it. Is at the very end of the film, yes. Uh, all the phones in the world ring, and yeah. and he, he's uploaded the Job has uploaded himself. His characters uploaded himself essentially to the digital world. Yes. What 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 was going through your mind then in regards to? AI. Well, there's a there's a couple yeah. of different things there. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> first of all, um, films like The Alarmant come out of you know a person like myself reading a whole lot of science fiction when I was a kid. Okay, uh, and it's almost impossible to come up with a new idea in science fiction. Let me tell you, because so many things have been written and in many ways experienced you know expressed very very well. Uh, that ending of the Lowerman, which I thought was a tremendous ending, and actually it worked as an ending for the film for for people very well, was a direct lift from an Arthur C. Clarke film uh, story called Dial F for Frankenstein, and it was a short story where all the phones rang because an AI was born at the end of uh, of the story, and so I wanted to show that Job, or now now Cyber Job. He did escape at the end, you know, he was, you know, you may remember the scene, exit denied, exit denied, exit denied. And then he is able to escape out into the worldwide network of the web, which by that way, at that point, we made that film didn't even exist yet. 
um, was just on the cusp of existing. And, uh, and then the phones ring, I thought was just the perfect way of showing that there was a birth cry of this, this human that had become data, had become uh, an artificial, uh, you know, synthetic being. Um, and uh, in the context of, of a digital world. And it also was the metaphor of the digital world itself sort of erupting, sort of having its moment of birth. Because we're at that moment when the film was released in 1992, it was really the very beginning of the internet. And it was just this moment that felt like I needed something cinematic and palpable and visual and auditory to be able to express that. And that idea just, I remembered from reading it as a kid, uh, came to my mind and it was, it turned out to be the perfect ending for the film. That's, wow. that, that was my thought process. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I, what do you think about the questions that, uh, chat GPT, that was, that was a question for me. That was my human question. Yeah. But what did you think of the chat GPT generated questions? They were very, uh, thorough. Uh, in their, I mean, it, they were yeah. very well expressed, and uh, the fact that they focused on that line is interesting because literally, that was the line that was singled out in all the test screenings of the film uh, as the as the moment that people locked into the movie. The line, all, "I am God here." I am God here. Yeah, that was the mo- and I it it literally in the way in which it was expressed in the in the focus groups that we did uh, during the test screenings and, and that film was my first experience with focus groups and test screenings, by the way, which was a, as traumatic a thing as you can possibly experience as a filmmaker. By the way, <laughs> that's a whole other story, but um, uh, they were very focused on that moment because there were people that were religious in the audience and they really liked that somehow this technology got this character closer to God, even though he was saying I was God, you know? So it's, it, it, it you know, it, it just, it's, it was a very interesting thing for me because also the film, you know, dealt with sort of religious tropes, the, the Catholic priest who was a pedophile in the film with the laundryman himself and things like that, that were, you know, earned it a condemnation from the Catholic Chronicle. Um, you know, we're, we're simultaneously mixed with these sort of quasi-spiritual, quasi-religious ideas in the context of the cyber reality. So that line sort of imbibes the fact that the AI focused on that line is really kind of fascinating and also kind of terrifying for me. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, yeah, it, it was, I, I, I told it in some of my props to act like a, a New Yorker uh, interviewer. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> but also, you know, but, yeah. but also reference specific lines. Um, but I thought it was interesting that it even knew some of the source material. Like it just dawned on me, like, oh, I could just ask GPT four <laughs> these questions that I think a lot yeah. of people would also find interesting. So that's why I thought it'd be fun for the podcast. Yeah, no, that was that was great fun and also kind of kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for all the reasons we were talking about. Well, listen, I'm going to sign off with my usual sign off. I love you, son. I love you too, Dad, and special thanks to Greg Leonard for the theme music for our podcast. 